turn to Nehemiah. We're going to, next couple weeks, we're going to go through these books and kind of go by verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. And I'm excited about the truth that God is going to share and teach us this morning because I believe it's going to be impactful to not only our church, but more importantly to our lives. And uh, as you can see, this series is entitled Change Your World in 50 Days. That's a reference to really the whole crux of the book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of a wall. And it took 52 days to rebuild that wall. 52 days to make it beautiful. Imagine what you and I could do with 52 days focusing on what God has for us. I believe in 52 days we can see some great things happen in our lives. Now, I don't want this series to be uh, just kind of cliche. I don't want it to be like that. And I, and I don't want it to be just some quick fix. It's really not. Um, many times, you and I, we've tried this quick fix. We tried to, hey, how to lose a certain amount of weight in so many days or how to get rich quick or, or, or just all these shortcuts. They, they never work out. And in spiritual growth, it's the same. You and I can't shortcut the growth process. The Bible talks about the great mistakes that are sown in Belmont Mind and what they do to sow it that they also reap. There is this law of sowing and reaping, but in between the sowing and the reaping, as I thought, is time. It takes time. You can't just go to your backyard and say, this new year, in my green thumb, we're going to have some nice tomatoes next week, and I think I want some corn, and man, I want some nice flowers over here. Let's kind of expect it by, hey, I'm going to plant it in the morning, and then that afternoon, go pick some potatoes and sell some flowers. It takes time. And the same is true when we're talking about changing our lives, changing our behaviors, changing our patterns. It's going to take some time. And so I'm not going to get up here and uh, take a verse and just say, well, hey, uh, Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ. So by the end of the day, you're going to lose 30 pounds and your bank account's going to be in six digits. You know, it's just not realistic. That's not what I'm going to promise you this morning. But I want us to look at some things that I believe can alter our life for our greater good and for our benefit. And there's many reasons the book of Nehemiah, I think, is going to be a great starting point for us, not only for the year, but then also for the for our personal lives. This book is great because, um, and it may be different, there's no miracles that take place in the book of Nehemiah. All the other books, you see God performing these miracles. And I, I suppose maybe under the surface, we would look like, we would look at the fact that, hey, the wall went up in 52 days. That's kind of a miracle there. But in the there wasn't anybody who was blind and now can see. There wasn't anybody who um, their relative had passed away and now God brought them back to life. There was no miracles like that. It's a story, a passage of Scripture that deals with a lot of hard work, deals with a lot of intense situations, and it deals with a lot of time. A lot of time for Nehemiah got a lot of the job and he saw what God could do through his life. But I believe this year, your greatest greatest enemy and my greatest enemy is going to be this one thing, our bitterness. Some of you say amen. Okay. You're doing really well. You're good intentions. I'm coming to church. I'll be here 52 weeks. No, 50, no, 40, no, 25, 26 weeks out of the year. You know, I mean, we have these great intentions by the end of the year. Hey, I made it, man. I just showed up by the end of the year. It's kind of how we are. But our good intentions are going to stop us from many great things. Our good intentions never really did anything for God. Good intentions doesn't get you to the gym. 
doesn't cut it. Good intentions doesn't read through the Bible. Good intentions doesn't do it. And so you're going you're gonna to be able to, at the end of 2015, be able to look back and say, I had a lot of good intentions or I had a lot of good accomplishments. And we're not into just good intentions around here. We want to take it a step further. And so I want you to understand, as we jump right into this, there is this enemy of good intentions. And we're going to see that in the book of Nehemiah. Well, can we all stand? And uh, we're going to read just a few verses in the book of Nehemiah, just out of respect for the word of God, kind of get the blood flowing a little bit. Nehemiah chapter number one. If you didn't bring a Bible, it'll be up on the screen or it's in your worship guide. Nehemiah chapter number one, verse number one, the Bible says this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, or some of your Bibles may say Susa, the palace, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity, concerning Jerusalem. Now you got to understand, okay? The book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah in where we get our scriptures in the original Hebrew, it's one book. So it'd be Ezra 1, and then Nehemiah is actually Ezra 2, and they connect. So you've got to say, what happened in Ezra chapter number 1? We see that the children of Israel left Babylon to go back to build the temple, okay? And that's what Nehemiah is referring to. Hey, how's that group of people that went back over 100 years ago to rebuild the temple? How are things going? So that's where he's asking, just a little background, okay? Now he's asking concerning Jerusalem, and this is what they said in verse 3. And they said unto him, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction. And reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now I thought for a second, and hope you don't mind, I won't keep you standing longer, I promise. It's interesting because sometimes you and I will ask somebody, Hey, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm fine. Nehemiah asked his brother a question. Hey, how are the people doing? And he could have just said, they're fine. He could have just given a, hey, they're doing all right. The temple's rebuilt. You know, everything's okay. But instead, his brother gets really descriptive, doesn't he? He says, the people, they're doing lousy. And worse yet, they're a reproach. Reproach meaning they're a disgrace, okay? They're a disgrace to the nation of Israel. They're a disgrace to Jehovah God. And then he said, hey, and it doesn't get any better. The city itself, the city of Jerusalem, the walls, yeah, they're totally down. They've been there 100 years. They haven't rebuilt any walls. The walls are still down. So what happens is all these marauders and all these raiders, they come and they steal and they go in and they just take whatever they want. So it's terrible. And the gates, they're burned with fire. The gates meant their security. Those are burned with fire. There's, there's nothing left. His brother gets really descriptive. But I want you to understand something. His brother doesn't do anything about the situation. He knows a lot, but he doesn't do anything. Notice what Nehemiah does, okay? And this is, ter- this is good because I know a lot of Christians, you know this thing better than I know. But we don't do a lot. Knowledge does not make you unstoppable. It doesn't. You can have the Bible memorized. When I brought illustrations, I brought, I have 37 Bibles in my house. I have a bunch of Bibles. And if it was, if we, whoever brought the most Bibles, had the best life, then, then, man, I'd be doing pretty good. But guess what? That's that's not it. Knowledge is not enough. It's not enough, Christian. This year, you're making a decision, saying, "I'm going to memorize a verse every day. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to learn this." That you're going to have to take it a step further, Christian. 
And man, I'm, I'm starting to push. I got to read this. I got to preach this. In verse number four, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down. And it was their custom when you sat down, it was a sign that somebody had died in the family, that you were going to mourn. He sat down in mourning, like somebody died. That's what was taking place. And he wept and he mourned certain days. And then he continues on. And then he fasted. You want to talk spirit? He fasted. And and his heart was so broken. You ever been in a moment like that? Where your heart was so heavy, you're just, I'm in hunger. Just so just overwhelmed by the situation, overwhelmed by what's going on. His brother got real descriptive, and his brother went on his way. Notice how Nehemiah, it's affecting him. He fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. He said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes upon open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned. He didn't say they. It would have been real easy to blame things on somebody else. So this year, you're going to be tempted to blame things on somebody else. Instead, say, hey, I may not have caused this crisis, but I'm going to be a part of the solution. And he said, we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou hast commanded thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heavens, yet will I gather you from thence, and I will bring them unto that place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine ear now be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Before we sit down, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to find three people, and I want you to give them a high five and say, Happy New Year. We've got to get a little bit of energy going in the room. You've got to find three people, give them a high five, and you've got to tell them Happy New Year. I know it's a little bit too quiet. All right. I apologize. I, we were wondering what was going on with the mic situation. Thank you. You may be seated. Happy New Year. We just used that as a cover-up to kind of delay things. Write this down in your notes, if you would. You can't fulfill your calling in your comfort zone. You can't fulfill your calling in your comfort zone. Here's Nehemiah, and here he is. He is what would be the cupbearer for the, for the king the king of Persia, and here he is, this cupbearer, and understand the cupbearer, some people would say, oh, he's just a glorifying butler, and I don't like that because I believe he was so much more than that because he had direct access to the king. In that day and age, the king's children nor his wife 
could just have direct access to the king. They had to almost make an appointment. It's kind of scheduled. Don't some of you parents kind of wish your kids had to make an appointment to see you, not just banging on the door or anything like that, you know? Our son, Austin, he's figured out knocking is just kind of lame. He's reinvented this whole thing. Instead of knocking, he kicks. Not like hard kicks, but instead of like you would normal, like just kind of knock on the door. He just kind of lightly kicks on the door. We're like, Austin, why do you kick? And that's just his thing. And then whenever I leave the house, he'll say, Dad, kick. And he wants me to just kind of kick his foot instead of like a fist bump, high five, hug, you know, or kiss or anything. He's like, kick, you know. And uh, so that's his little thing, you know. And uh, sometimes we, we kind of wish, man, I wish my kids didn't always have access. But here's what happened in that day and age. Nobody had this direct access to the king like Nehemiah did. He had the king's ear. He had, was able to influence this man. And if anybody wanted to poison the king, here's this guy. He's the cupbearer, and his job was to taste the wine. That's his job. Some of you are like, sign me up, tasting wine. I, all right, I'm, I'm going for this job, you know. But understand, if somebody wanted to make an attempt on the king's life, you died first, okay? So there's, there's a drawback to this. Don't just think he's got this cushy job. It was a dangerous job, but he was the king's advisor as well, all right? So here's this position that he has. Am I good? All right, perfect. We'll switch back to this. And so Nehemiah, in this situation, he's got it made, all right? He's got it made. He's an Israelite in a foreign country, and he's like the number two position. Just like Daniel was when Daniel was with Nebuchadnezzar, just like other people were in the past, past like Joseph. Here's Nehemiah. He's in a comfortable situation. And all of a sudden, he gets a vision from God. He gets a burden in his heart to do what? To leave his comfort zone, to leave his security, to leave his job, and to say, there's something in my heart that I just... Uh, I got to go to the people of Israel. There's a wall that's broken down. Those people are in reproach. I just can't stay here. I just can't be here. And so for Nehemiah, and so for Nehemiah, for him to fulfill his calling, he had to leave his comfort zone. And I think this year, and I said it last week, if you were here, that what God is here is not going to get us there. And if we as a church are going to continue to go and continue to grow, we're going to have to say, God, if I have I gotten too comfortable? Have I gotten too comfortable in my life? Is there something you're calling me to do a little bit more of? Is there a comfort zone you're wanting me to stretch out of? Is the comfort zone maybe this job, Lord, I need to be an active witness? Is there something in this comfort zone where you're saying, Lord, I need to change? Maybe in my school student there's somebody you need to talk to, or maybe there's something, there's somebody you know or a relative, and God's saying, hey, if you are going to accomplish my calling on your life, you're going to have to leave this comfort zone. And that's always hard. But this year, we're going to have to make this, that decision. And Nehemiah, it's amazing. This, this great event happens. It starts with just a casual conversation. That's how this starts. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Spoiler alert. This is all about building up the wall. And so Nehemiah is going to go and build up that wall. But before he does that, he has, to, he has this conversation. God used his brother's simple conversation to be a catalyst for change. It's been said that just like great doors turn on small hinges, great events happen in those little moments. I think God's going to call you and I to great things, but it's not going to happen in a great, big, bombastic way sometimes. 
I think sometimes you and I, we're waiting for the, um, uh, a burning bush, the message in the sky. We're waiting for this big sign. Instead of seeing what God is doing through just the gentle, small, leading, small, still voice of God. And here Nehemiah, he's tuned into that. But I want you to see that, first of all, Nehemiah had to rewrite the script of his life. And you might have to do the same. See, Nehemiah, he probably had his life all mapped out, exactly what he wanted to do, exactly what he wanted to accomplish. Here he is. The Bible doesn't say how old he is, but he's old enough to be the king's cupbearer. He's old enough to have a job that's secure, probably has a family, probably has some children. And here he is. He's set in life. He's got it made. He's risen to the highest position he can possibly go in the land. And at this point, God says it's time to rewrite the script. At that point when he's so comfortable, when he's got it made, that's when God says, hey, change your plans. I know you had it all figured out. I thought of a message even with Mary over the Christmas season. She was planning a wedding, and God changed her plan and said, it's time to plan a baby shower. I thought that would have been a good message to preach. I'll save it for next year. Maybe you're making some plans this year, and you're thinking about, hey, this is what God's going to do. And God's saying, I'm going to rewrite the script. Will you let him rewrite the script? Or you're going to say, no, 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 this script is already written. I've already got my five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan. It's already set. It's done. You say, what's the, what's the script? What's the plan for Southridge Baptist Church? It's found in John chapter number 2, where Mary said to the servants who are filling up the water to turn it into wine, Jesus' first miracles, Mary says to the servants, whatever he, he being Jesus, says to you, do it. That's the goal. That's the vision. That's the plan for Southridge Baptist Church. Whatever he says, we're going to do it. That's the long-range plan. Whatever God tells us, we're doing it. That's our script. Pretty simple. Pretty easy. That's where we're at. But here's Nehemiah, and he's going to have to rewrite the script. But I want you to see that God gives him this burning passion, this burning vision. It's been said that vision often begins with the inability to accept things the way they are. The inability to accept things the way they are. I've entitled this message, Somebody's Gotta Do Something. Have you ever had a moment like that? You're watching a situation play out before your eyes, and you're thinking, somebody's gotta do something about this. This just isn't right. You're going down the street, and you're seeing something. I remember we lived in this apartment complex a couple of years ago. And as you know, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the strongest guy. But there was this guy, and he was just yelling at his wife. And he started to get verbally abusive. And I was worried that this is going to escalate. And I'm driving by, but you can hear it. All of a sudden, I said, honey, i got to do something. She said, don't get out of the car, Micaiah. I said, but somebody's got to do something. She said, yeah, but you're going to be dead. I'll be calling 911. That guy's bigger than you. Yeah, but somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. It might as well be me. Amen. See, God's going to speak to you this year and he's going to tell you that, hey, there's something you've got to do. There's going to be a situation you're going to come across and something inside of you. You're just not going to be able to feel right. You're going to be sitting down at home and it's going to bother you. You're going to be watching your favorite show and you're just it's going to be on your mind. You're going to go to bed at night and you're just going to be laying there thinking and you're going to you're just going to be it's going to be on your mind because there's going to be something that God's going to put on your mind and you're going to be thinking to yourself, somebody's got to do something. And here's what I want you to say to yourself in that moment. It might as well be me. Might as well be me. Somebody's got to talk to that person. Somebody's got to help that lady. Somebody's got to help that child. Oftentimes, you and I, we complain and we say, is anybody else noticing this? Does anybody else see what I see? Does anybody else feel what I feel? 
They don't. And here's the reason why. God gave it to you. It's your vision. It's for you. God meant it to get to your heart. That's the reason why it affects you more than it affects anybody else. It's yours because this year, your burdens are going to become your blessing and your misery is going to need to become a ministry. That's what's going to happen this year. That's what happened with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's in his comfort zone, and God says, hey, to get you to fulfill your calling for your life, you got to leave this comfort zone. We're rewriting the script. And for some of us, the challenge is going to be to say, God, yes, I'll let you rewrite the script. Or we're going to say, no, I'm good. And you're going to fight that feeling. There's a song that goes with it. I promise I won't sing the song. But you're just going to have that itch inside of you, and it's not going to be able to let you go. But I want you to see that Nehemiah, he gave in to it. He said, I'm going to do something. For some of us, have you ever asked yourself, how do I know if what I'm doing matters? Sometimes I ask myself that. You say, you're in the ministry. Of course it matters. I don't know. If you walked in my shoes, you'd feel like, what did I do today that was profitable? I study my Bible. You have a real job. I just study the Bible, okay? I get paid to be spiritual. And guess what? I'm not that spiritual. Is it all right if a preacher gets honest? Is that okay? I hope you don't mind. But I want you to understand something. That even those moments we're asking ourselves, am I doing what matters? You see, vision always begins with asking that. It begins with that concern. That am I doing what truly matters? In the Bible, in Proverbs, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In other translations, it says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint you say what do you mean cast off restraint you see we need a vision this year and this is why it's so important to have a vision and um let me use this illustration i used to preach to teenagers and we would always do whenever you talk about sex you would always use like the scare tactics it's bad it's horrible stay away from it and then when you get married just do it all you want and then we just think like like they're gonna just make this switch like it's bad bad ugly gross but then you get married it's good like Really? Like, it's horrible. It's awful. Save it for marriage. What? Like, there's, and, and we wonder why we're seeing this huge increase on the rise of teenagers and, and just kind of being promiscuous. You say, why? Here's the reason. The Bible says where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. Instead of scare tactics, how about we give them a vision for what is a truly great marriage? What is a vision for what is true purity? What's it all about? Let's give people a better vision, and they'll follow after the vision. Let's give people a better vision of what church can be, and they'll go after the vision instead of, oh, don't go to that church, and this church has got that problem, and that, and we just get all upset with people. Instead, how about we just say, no, this is a vision of what church can be and what we're going after, and this is what we want to see God do. We're not perfect, but this is what we want to see God do because where there is no vision, the people perish or they cast off restraint or they have no direction. And we're saying, hey, here's a vision. Nehemiah, he caught a vision of what he wanted to see happen. But it starts with a concern. I love the great theologian Popeye. Popeye would always have that saying. No, he's a pretty wise guy. So listen to what he says sometimes. He has this saying, and I got to read it. I'm going to get it wrong. He says, and I love this. That's all I can stands because I can't stands no more. And he had his arch enemy, Brutus. Have you gotten to that point yet, Christian? That's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. There's got to be something in our life where we say, you know what? This vision is leading to concern. 
I have a concern to reach people without Christ. I have a concern to help those who can't help themselves. What is your concern this morning? We could have used this exact same message and preached about the Good Samaritan, who the Good Samaritan took care and pity on somebody who needed the help. See, the vision started with a concern. Nehemiah, he didn't create the crisis, but he wanted to help solve it. His brother knew a lot about it, didn't want to do anything about it. And we could be that kind of church, point out the world's problems, point out the political problems, point out all the social economic problems, point out all the moral problems, point out all the problems. We could be that church and we could just point out problems all around and just kind of do the hokey pokey and just kind of oh, problems everywhere. Or we can be, wait a minute, we're going to we're going to solve a problem. We're going to solve a problem. We're going to find a problem. We're going to solve. We can't solve them all, but we're going to find a problem. We're going to solve. That's what we're here to do. We're here to be salt and light. We're here to make a difference. Whatever difference we can make, we are going to make a difference. But the vision begins as concern. Lamentations, Jeremiah the prophet, he wrote a book. And in Lamentations chapter number 3, verse 51, he said, Mine eye, as I look out on the city of Jerusalem, he said, it affects my heart. When you look at the city, what affects your heart? You say, ah, I see all the rich and I see all this. And, and what do you see? You see people lost without Christ. What do we see when we look out? What do you see when you look at your coworkers? Let your eyes affect your heart. Because vision begins as a concern, but vision demands change. It demands a change. And vision always leads to our purpose. Nehemiah thought his purpose, his script, his life script was, I'm the king's cupbearer. That's how he ends the chapter. For I was the king's cupbearer. That's just kind of what he thought his life was all about. And he let God rewrite the script. And he found what his true purpose was all about. His true purpose was so much bigger, so much greater, but he let God rewrite the script. Notice, secondly, not only do we have to let God rewrite the script, let's go behind the scenes a little bit more. Because if we're truly going to take some of these um, thoughts about Nehemiah and really apply them to our life, we have to look a little bit deeper. So let's go behind the scenes. And I've already said it, alluded to it. Information brings obligation, Christian information brings obligation here his brother comes to him and he tells him about the situation and his brother wasn't going to do anything about it but here nehemiah said i'm going to do something i feel an obligation i feel a need i feel a desire i have to be a part of the solution i have to do something and he said i'm going to get involved there's an old adage that says ignorance is bliss and i think sometimes that's what we want we want that ignorance is bliss. I didn't see it. I don't want to have to deal with it. I can tell you how many times I just want to ignore the dishes that are in the sink. But then it's like, wait a minute, I just can't. I got to help clean that up. There's just something. I got this bad habit, and I really have to watch it, is when I see trash, I just want to pick it up and throw it away. The only problem is that's just kind of a gross habit. I shake so many people's hands, and then I'm just passing all these germs. So I'm really working on not picking up trash, but for the longest time, I just hate trash. And it really, pet peeve of mine, I hate it when people are driving in their car and they'll just throw a Coke bottle or they'll just drop trash. It just bugs me to death. That's litter. I should preach against it sometime. Maybe I will. I don't know if it's in the Bible, but it might be fun to preach anyway. And so it just, it just bugs me to just see this trash. I just can't stand it. i got to pick up trash. And so I have this habit. What about you? You're just like, man, it's just something I just go ADD on. And it's just something that just matters. There's just this obligation. And I just can't ignore it. I've got to see it. For hundreds of years, there was very little exploration going on in the world. You say, why? Because the knowledge of that day was the world was flat. And so because their knowledge was wrong, they didn't do anything. But you and I, we have, through the Bible, we have correct knowledge of what the situation, the plight of the world is. And that brings an obligation for us. 
in Christopher Columbus. He said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prove it to you. The world's not flat. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go. See, Nehemiah, he said, I'm going to do something. You ever said to somebody, my heart goes out to you? Anybody ever use that? Yeah, of course we have. My heart goes out to you. You know, I don't want us to use that phrase anymore. Because guess what? Your heart can't help me. You need your heart. I don't need your heart. I need your help this year. And there's somebody that doesn't need you to walk by and say, hey, oh, bless your heart. You're so sweet. My heart goes out to you. No, they need your help this year. That person with the flat tire as you're passing by. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, I just feel so bad for you. My heart just hurts for you. Oh, got to go. No, they need help. There's a neighbor that needs help. There's a coworker that needs help. There's somebody in your life, and stop telling them my heart goes out to you. How about at least have a word of prayer with them? How about at least buy them a cup of coffee? How about at least spend some time with them? How about at least do something, not just my heart goes out to you? Can I tell you what? Your heart really didn't do anything. You say, well, my heart just kind of goes out for things. We take up an offering around here. Well, my heart, you know my heart's in the right place. I don't give jack squat, but you know where my heart is. I want to say something. This church, you don't have to give a dime to come here. You don't, you don't have to give a dime. But thank God for the people who do give a dime so that you can be here. Can I just say that? Thank God for the people that do sacrifice. You don't have to, and I'm not going to be the one here twisting your arm and saying, you better give, otherwise you can't keep on the lights. I'm not going to do that. But I thank God for the people that do that sacrifice. And I don't mind pointing them out and saying, thank God that you give, and you know the ones that each week you give faithfully, and you give of your tithes, you give of your offering. It's not because you're doing it for me. We don't give to the church, Christian. We give to God through the church. That's what giving's all about. And I thank God for some of you that say, you know what? I'm not just going to be ignoring this. I'm going to give toward this. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm just, my heart doesn't just go out to Southridge Baptist Church. My help goes to it, to see what God can do in our country, to see what God can do in our city, and in our community. That's what it's all about this morning we need to go behind the scenes and information brought about obligation for nehemiah but then nehemiah he begins to investigate before he initiated you notice something in verse number one the bible says in the month chislu you say what what month is that i don't i, I see my calendar you know is that january march chislu i mean where does chislu come in there i don't see that in the calendar their calendar is a little bit different so chislu would be in between kind of november and december that's kind of where chislu is but i want you to see something in chapter number two the bible says it came to pass in the month nisan or nisan whatever you want to pronounce it so there's a time difference of months it's roughly about three months that have transpired here okay and I want you to see something that for three months, he just begins to investigate. He just begins to plan, to pray and prepare. He begins to get ready for something. He didn't just rush into the situation. He thought about it. He prayed about it. He planned. He prepared. Matter of fact, he fasted. He mourned. He thinks over it. He wrestles with it. He took time. You see, here he wanted to, he, he knew that uh, apart from divine intervention, there was no way to rebuild the wall. The wall wasn't just going to go up. And all that we're going to see the enemies and the challenges he is going to face in this passage. I'm telling you what, this would make a, a great movie for somebody to make. It's just, it's this epic 
story just kind of unfolds. And here, Nehemiah knew that he needed to take time to have, make sure God was with this, make sure God was in this. Whereas a church, we need to spend some time just saying, God, we want to move and we want to go forward and we want to be a part of what you've got for us. But God, we want to take time and just pray and just think and meditate. And every time Nehemiah makes a major decision or he's about to do something, we're going to see that he was a man given to prayer. He was a man just given to uh, just withdrawing from the situation and saying, I need to think and pray about this. See, Nehemiah prayed for opportunities and then he planned expecting things to work out. You say, how do we know that? In chapter number two, the Bible says that in verse number two, wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad? See, thou art not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid. And he said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates are ever consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said unto the king, if it please the king, if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. I want you to see that as soon as the king asked the question, three months of praying, three months of planning, and then his opportunity came, Nehemiah was ready. I think sometimes you and I, we look at the waiting moments, and we waste those moments. Instead of saying, what does God have for me right here in this situation? Am I praying? Am I preparing? What am I doing with this? You say, hey, I, I, I'm not doing so great. I'm in between jobs or I'm in between school or I'm in between relationships. What are you doing in that time? Is that waiting time just going to be wasted time for you? And all of a sudden, well, God never uses me to do anything great. Are you preparing? Are you using the extra time to read and study and pray and extra time to continue to work on yourself? Or are you just expecting by the end of this year, by the process of osmosis, that you're going to be this wonderful, awesome, amazing, rich, good-looking, amazing person? You just want God to just kind of make that happen. There's got to be that preparation time where you're saying, hey, I'm waiting here. I'm in between what God has for me. He waited three months, but the burden was still there. The Bible says his countenance, his facial expressions. You can tell even three months later that it still bothered Nehemiah. I mean, that's amazing. You and I, we remember 9-11. We remember how for a couple weeks after, it just seemed like the whole country was just at a place of just prayer and contemplation, a place of just seeking God. Didn't last very long. Didn't last very much. The church of Liberty, we just kind of kept the doors open because people just throughout the day would just, I just need to go pray in a church. Just random people. Days after the event, just, just pouring into the church, just praying in the church. Their hearts were broken over something. Here for three months, this guy's heart is still broken over the city. It was real with him. The passion was real, was sincere. And Nehemiah, he had prepared. But then lastly, as we wrap things up, I want you to see that there's an alternate ending. And you say, why would you use the alternate ending? Because this story could have gone one of two ways, Christian. He could have just stayed in the palace and he would have been like his brother Hananiah, never hear of him again. There's one other mention of him in scripture. That's it. But there's no book dedicated to him. Not 12, 13 chapters written about him. Nothing else to say, but Nehemiah, he said, no, 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 there's going to be an alternate ending. I'm going to let God change the script because even in the end, we end the, the passage, chapter one, it says, for I was the king's cupbearer. That's not where he ends his life. He doesn't stay the king's cupbearer. 
There's an alternate ending. You ever seen a movie and you've watched it and then somebody tells you, hey, there's an alternate ending? Do you ever see that? One movie, it's called I Am Legend, Will Smith, zombie movie, apocalypse, end of the world. The alternate ending is better than the original ending. You say, why? Will Smith lives in that one. Spoiler, sorry if you, you remember that movie back 2007, 2008. The other one, it just, you just want to see him live, not get whooped on and have to blow himself up with a grenade. It was kind of depressing, kind of sad. It's kind of like, really, man? Like, that's how it ends? It's kind of messed up. We don't want our life to be like that. Like, that's how it ended? There can be an alternate ending. There can be the ending that we want to have. And in 52 days, we can see our lives dramatically change. We can see God do some incredible things. As we study this passage, we'll see some keys and things that will unlock in our lives where we can see, wait a minute, that's how I want to change. I want to be a person. When I see a situation and I think to myself, somebody's got to do something, that could be me. I can be that person. But we have to remember something. Dreamers dream about things being different visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Let me say that again. Dreamers dream about things being different. Oh, I dream about a bigger house. Oh, I dream about uh, whatever, bigger bank account. Oh, I dream about a better car. I dream about this. Visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Which one are you? dreamer oh i dream about this and i want to see this or who's the visionary you know what i love about our church you guys are doers you're doers i know just about all of you really well i've spent time with just about all of you over coffee or lunch or something many of you you've started businesses you've raised families you have children you've been married You've had jobs, you've lost jobs, you've restarted jobs, you've had money, you've lost money, you've made money. You've been through it. You're doers. Nehemiah's a doer. I don't think our church is just dreamers. I don't think we're the type that just kind of dream about some far off lofty vision and then we just kind of, ah, that'd be nice and walk away. I think you're the type that says somebody's got to do something. I think it should be me. It's simple things. Just help carry stuff out to the trailer. You see somebody doing something, you just grab a box and drop it. You don't even know where it goes, but you're just, I'm going to grab it. I want to do something. I don't know. You're that doers. That's the way our church is. And I want to encourage you to stay faithful to the process. Waiting time is never wasted. Stay faithful to that process that God has us in. See, and Nehemiah was praying that God would change the king's heart. He was praying that God would do something in this situation. Notice in verse number 11, he said this. He said, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What do you mean grant him mercy? In the sight of God? What is Nehemiah praying about? He's praying, he's saying, hey, I know the king pretty well. And aside from God changing his heart, this isn't going to happen. And Nehemiah began to realize that he needed to pray and ask God to change the king's heart. Proverbs, it says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Some of you are thinking about a situation right now. And I want you to understand, just like Nehemiah prayed, God grant me mercy. God give me favor. That needs to be your prayer about that situation. God give me mercy in this situation. God give me favor in this situation. Because aside from you doing something, this isn't going to have an alternate ending. 
this ending right now doesn't look too good. Unless you change something, God, it's not going to happen. And that was Nehemiah's attitude. He was, I'm going to say faith on this process, but God, I need you to work. I need you to change something because I can't do it. And then he stayed focused on the payoff. He stayed focused on what God had called him to do. You say, what was the payoff for Nehemiah? And I used to think it was all about building the wall. I used to think that was his payoff. Like he just wanted to see that wall built and mission accomplished and and go back home to the king's cupbearer. Can I tell you, we kind of miss what the payoff was all about. In verse number three, his brother said it. He said this. He said, the people are in great affliction and reproach. And then I began to read, and that word reproach, disgrace, pops up a lot in this book. And then in chapter 2, verse number 17, Nehemiah gathers the people of Jerusalem together. And notice what he says in verse 17 of chapter 2. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. That was his goal. We don't want to be a disgrace anymore. That's not who we are. We don't want to be that, that person anymore. What about you? You say, I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. What resolution did you make this year? And you say, I don't like that person anymore. What about you this year that you're saying, God, my goal isn't necessarily to make six figures, though that's not bad. My goal this year is something deeper. I'm just going to change. Something that maybe nobody else could put their finger on. But God, you and I can. God, you know the reproach. You know the disgrace that needs to change. That was Nehemiah's goal. His payoff was not just seeing a ball built bigger than that. Not just building walls. We can bring great messages. Oh, what's a wall? Your life needs to go up and I could be jumping on chairs and shouting and we could be clapping. We'd be all excited about walls going up. But when we start talking about the deeper things, and I told you this, this series isn't going to be cliche. I could go cliche on you. I could, I could do that. I could whoop you guys up into a frenzy. You could be out of here high-fiving, dancing, and, and just having a great old man. We had trust today. It was, it was off the hook. Great. Or we can come out of church saying, yeah. There's something needs to change. Something deeper. Because I don't want us to be just superficial. Because for us, church, for us to go wide, to have great influence, we have to go deep. You see, a tree, the deeper the roots, the greater the fruit. And you and I, church, we can't be cliche. We can't just have a name and claim it, baby. Come on. God's just doling out bills. Come on. Just praise him and it'll happen. Praise him. Let me slap some foreheads, heal some people. That's not not how it's going to happen. God says there's some reproach we've got to take care of. It's going to take time. There's some things you and I, we've built these bad habits, we've built these things over time, and it's not going to happen a quick fix. Come on, you've been to the gym. Everybody right now, going to the gym, come on. I'm going to lose whatever I gained over the holidays couple days it's gonna be empty they want that quick fix they'd rather take a pill than work out i want you to understand something 
There's something we've got to work through, church. And we're going to work through it in this book. We need to stay faithful to the payoff. But I want you to understand, and we're going to kind of leave with this thought. We act on faith, not on our fears. Nehemiah had a lot of fears. How is this going to happen? How is this going to take place? Church, we never act on our fears. We always act on our faith. That's what Nehemiah was going to go forward on. And we're going to wrap this message up, but I want us to leave this with this. The challenge this week is not to build a wall, to raise some capital for a startup, or approach a high-ranking official. The challenge this week, this week, is will our surroundings affect us, or are we going to affect our surroundings? Are we going to make that difference? You can't fulfill your calling in your comfort zone. Something's got to change. Let's rewrite the script. Every head bowed, every eye closed.